0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is calling in, even though we were going to meet um, because of coronavirus and podcasts still work over the phone, so we're doing more of those. My guest is um, Jessica Morgan-Ursum. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And um, Jessica is going to talk about scrupulosity. And she reached out to me a couple months ago. And I'll just read what she wrote. Um, Hello, my aunt follows you on Instagram and recently tagged me in a post about it was episode 191 scrupulosity. And I'm so grateful she tagged me because I was diagnosed with scrupulosity in the MTC and have spoken to five counselors since then. And the only one who diagnosed me knew about scrupulosity I sobbed through the whole podcast as I've never felt so understood and started to piece together other places scrupulosity attacked me I love to share my experience and sometimes I get messages like that and I'm just honored when someone reached out reaches out and I'm glad that a podcast was able to help someone like Jessica and the words she used I felt heard and understood and then um, Jessica being willing to bravely share her story for other listeners. We offered a prayer before we started, and just really grateful for Jessica and how brave she is to be on the podcast. Um, Let's, just by way of introduction, Jessica is a return missionary from the New Mexico Albuquerque Mission. She's been home, we're recording this in April of 2020. She's been home about 11 months. She grew up in Hooper, H-O-O-P-E-R, Utah. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um,
1: you are.
0: <laughs> and is um, a student at Snow College. So she's calling in from E from Utah, and we'll be talking about scrupulosity. We'll also be talking about relationship OCD, um, which is something we've never talked about on the podcast before. So once again, Jessica, thanks for being on the podcast. Let's just start you get this mission call, you open it at your home, it says Albuquerque, New Mexico. You go to the Provo MTC. So take us to the Provo MTC and where you started to feel some feelings of scrupulosity.
1: Yeah, so I went to the Missionary Training Center on October 11th of 2017, and I felt, you know, really overwhelmed. I think any missionary feels overwhelmed at the, at the MTC. It's just brand new. There's lots of people, Um, you know, I'm the oldest in my family and the oldest cousin. So I didn't know lots about the Missionary Training Center. And uh, I remember feeling like we talked a lot about repentance, which is a triggering thing for someone with scrupulosity. And so I specifically remember the very first Sunday that I was there. Everybody says in the MTC, just make it to Sunday Sunday you get there on a Wednesday and we had P day Saturday. And so like, I remember Sunday being the day that I was supposed to feel good. And in our sacrament meeting, um, a man who I believe was a counselor to the branch president stood up and said, a lot of you probably are struggling with things that you did before your missions. And we just hope that you come and clear those things up so that you can, you can serve a faithful mission and an obedient mission. And that was the first time that I felt a trigger to scrupulosity. And I felt immediately that there was something that I needed to go take care of. And so, I mean, as soon as that meeting was over, I pulled my branch president aside and said, can I talk to you for a minute? And, you know, he was grateful that I came and talked to him. And I felt like a high and a rush after I did that. I felt like, okay, I have a clean slate. Things are good. I'm I'm worthy. I can be here. And those highs don't last for very long. You know, after you've obeyed a compulsion to go confess something, the high that comes from that doesn't last very long. So I remember it was a couple days later that I started to feel awful again. And I felt like there's something I must have left out of my repentance. I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to be a missionary. Just thoughts like that immediately took over my my whole being um it was pretty obvious to the other missionaries in my district and to my companion that something was really wrong um and so i i tried to meet with him again and i shared with him like my thoughts about you know i'm not really sure what i'm supposed to confess to you right now but i feel like i need to confess something and he he just said well you know you, none of this is new you've already shared with me these things so I think you're okay. Why don't you just, you know, continue being a missionary and go be happy and go serve. And so I had another, another high, I felt like, and that lasted not for very long. And then I felt all the emotions and the feelings of guilt all over again after that. And I thought that this was normal. I thought this meant that there really was something that I had done wrong, that I needed to take care of. And obviously it wasn't because this is, this is scrupulous behavior. So I I called him and said, I need to talk to you again. And he said, well, at this point, I really feel strongly that you need to go speak to um, one of the psychiatrists and they're available to you in the MTC. They're available to you to use, and you should go discuss with them, you know, these thoughts. And that was not the answer that I wanted. Um, I wanted to keep confessing. That was, that's what I wanted to keep doing because it felt so good after. Uh, But I listened to him and I went to... The psychiatrist and i met with a man who was actually a bishop serving as a bishop and i just shared with him how i felt and um he this is this part's kind of hard we only had about 15 minutes together and so it was just 15 minutes for me to quickly be diagnosed and learn about what this was but he asked me do you have other ocd behaviors and i said well well kind of but i didn't know lots about it and i hadn't really been correctly diagnosed before so he, he sat there and said, well, I know like you're, you know, exactly expressing to me thoughts that someone with scrupulosity would have. And, you know, he briefly just told me what it was and said, this is going to bother you probably for your whole mission. And he's like, it's important to learn a coping skill. And if that coping skill is seeing him or reading a scripture, it's important to have those things because, you know, this will, this will hit you at certain points in your mission. So I remember I asked him, what is it called again? And I quickly wrote it down. He spelled it out for me. And I just took that little piece of paper and went and emailed my parents and said, hey, I just found out that I have this. Um, And so that 15 minutes was supposed to get me through 18 months of a mission. And that was hard. I had no other resources the rest of my mission to learn about scrupulosity. It's not in Gospel Library. I can't use... Google search engines as a missionary to to search my diagnosis. I kind of just had to remember what he said and and use that and pray and use my coping skills for the rest of my mission. So it was really hard.
0: Wow. Keep telling. It's a great story, Jessica. We're all kind of here with you. Um. So you did get a correct diagnosis. It's interesting you said. I didn't really want to go to talk to the psychiatrist because I wanted to keep confessing to the bishop. And I've learned that that's the compulsion, like washing your hands that makes you feel good, but it reinforces the whole cycle. Right. And um, it sounds like you got to somebody that did understand and you were correctly diagnosed, but a diagnosis doesn't equal a solution because it takes um, therapy from what I understand, to um, deal with and solve scrupulosity. So yeah, just talk to us more about where you want to go with this story, if you want to talk about your mission and how you dealt with it, and just keep sharing your story.
1: Yeah, Um, so I had that diagnosis, and what I didn't share was um, about a half hour after that, I was sitting in the, the Missionary Training Center still, and I was Uh, Just studying with my companion and, you know, it was a beautiful night. The sun was setting um, and I remember feeling lots of peace. I felt the spirit say to me that that I needed to trust my diagnosis and that I was going to be okay, and not doubt and not, you know, still try and search for somewhere that I went wrong and somewhere that I was unworthy. But I needed to trust my diagnosis and that that Heavenly Father gave it to me and that I was going to be okay for the rest of my mission. And so that was a really, really peaceful moment after, you know, days of just agony and and, and hellish kind of feelings about myself and my worthiness. It was just finally moments of peace that followed. Um, and then I got into, into my mission. Um, I was in New Mexico in my first area, uh, White Rock, New Mexico, really, really tiny town in northern New Mexico. And I was with my companion and... Things were, were okay, and I'm not really sure uh, what triggered this scrupulosity attack, but my first one happened in the field, and I remember in the morning just kneeling down to pray for our personal study, and I felt like just darkness overcome me, and I felt like I had lied somewhere along the way, that I wasn't worthy, I wasn't supposed to be there, that I had lied my way to worthiness, and... I convinced myself that that's what was happening, but at the same time, in the back of my head, I knew that I had scrupulosity, so I couldn't really tell which was which. Which I've learned is what a lot of people with OCD struggle with: is that we kind of don't know what is our own thoughts and what what thoughts are coming from the spirit. And I remember my companion; she was so good to me. um, She suggested getting a priesthood blessing the next day at district council, and and that's what I did. Um, And this was a coping skill that I hadn't thought of on my own yet but i was so appreciative of my district leader who suggested using oil and he you know he said well let's use let's use oil because this is a medical thing which just touched my heart because i think a lot of people with mental illness you know get told that it's not real or that it's in their head or that it's not you know something that you can see so how do we know that it's there but it just warmed me that he wanted to use oil for something that couldn't be seen but was still bothering me. And as soon as he laid his hands on my head, you know, it didn't take scrupulosity away, but it brought me lots of comfort. Um, It helped me realize that I didn't need to call up my mission president and confess anything because, because this man was also a man of God and he was giving me this blessing that was just comforting me and showing me that I was worthy to be there. And that it was my mental illness that was telling me this time that I shouldn't be there.
0: So you had opened and, up. You opened up, often up with him about your situation. That he had enough insight to recognize this was a medical issue, and not a uh-huh. worthiness issue. And he then, with his training, knew that um, we we give blessings with oil. You're anointed with oil. A different priesthood leader seals that because he looked at this as a medical thing, and not um, any other thing. Is that correct?
1: That's
0: correct. That's really a cool story, Jessica. Um,
1: Yeah, I love to share that one too.
0: What a thoughtful and insightful priesthood holder. I love, it is a medical thing. We use oil for broken legs and oil for all these different medical things. And scrupulosity is a medical thing. And emotional illness is a medical thing that needs to be treated with the right therapies and a priesthood blessing would apply, apply equally to both situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you said a phrase in there that, it, I don't know if you meant to say, it's, it's a really powerful phrase, and it's not true, but it helps our listeners understand where your mind goes with scrupulosity. You said, I lied my way to worthiness. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's <laughs> a great scrupulosity phrase that is untrue, but just that helps me understand the way your brain is thinking as you were praying that morning in white rock, New Mexico.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, keep telling your story.
1: So after white rock, um, I was transferred to Albuquerque and white rock felt a lot like Utah and Albuquerque was where I had a lot of culture shock, um, growing up in Utah, especially Northern Utah, I get to Albuquerque and I'm like, wow, these are, these are people who are in lots of humble circumstances. And, um, I really started to feel love for these people so much love that I think I was kind of distracted from scrupulosity for a little while. And it wasn't until there was um, something that happened in our mission, just some disobedience that was going to send a dear sister of mine home from her mission early and i felt so much love for her but i remember the morning she left that was another trigger i felt like oh my goodness this is real this sister's leaving the mission for doing something disobedient i must not be obedient i probably need to go home too and i quickly started to spiral and i feel fortunate that i was able to stop this one like on my own but i remembered the psychiatrist in the mtc telling me think of a hymn think of a song or read a scripture and as soon as i started to notice that i was spiraling i i got really good control of this attack um and i don't know what separates this one from the other ones or why i was able to get a grip so much more easily on this one but i did calm down and and i stopped myself from calling president guffey telling him i need to go home early too because that was not the case i was obedient um it just, it scared me to see another sister go home early. I really thought that that I needed to be going home early too. And that, I think that's also like a sign of scrupulosity is comparison, which we all compare ourselves, but especially those with, with mental illnesses, I think they can do a lot more damage than, than not. And that's what I was feeling the second time. Um So later on in my mission, this was all at the beginning that all happened within the first six months. I was actually at at about 11 months into my mission when I had the worst scrupulosity attack um, that I've had so far. And I was, I was in a great area. And I felt like at this point in my mission, I felt like I knew what I was doing. I think it takes a little while to kind of get the idea of missionary work and to understand how to work with members and to understand how to work with a companion. But at this point in my mission, I felt like, like, probably the best I'd ever felt. I felt like I knew how to do the work and I was good at it and I was confident. And so, of course, it makes sense for Scrupulosity to kind of sneak up and attack me in a confident moment. And we were having a lesson with a recent convert who also happened to be less active at the time. And he started talking about some things that he struggled with um, as a child. And I remember just, you know, sitting there and feeling an awful, awful feeling in my body. And I was reminded of something that I had done as a young teenager. And I had taken care of it with a bishop, but I felt all the guilt all over again. And it was so strong. And that negative feeling that I felt was so convincing that I just had no control over this one. I immediately went down into the rabbit hole. And this is what's interesting is I got in the car to leave. It was our last appointment of the night. And I kept the Book of Mormon in the passenger seat. And when I opened it up, I opened it up to a scripture about repentance. So, of course, in this vulnerable moment, I'm convincing myself that I really am not worthy this time. Like, I just opened up to to a scripture about repentance. I must need to repent. I must be guilty. I must have not said enough. And it was an awful, awful night. We got home. I went into the bathroom to be alone and i remember just kind of yelling at god like telling him how confused i was was this scrupulosity talking to me right now or am i really not worthy and if i'm not worthy why did you wait 11 months to tell me that and i was so confused and just so full of anger and didn't understand why god would give someone so willing to serve a mission someone who is so willing to be obedient this disorder that makes me think I'm not worthy. And it was really hard to understand. I I thought back to the year leading up to my mission and the repentance process that I had to go through in order to become clean to be a missionary. And I just wondered, why did I have to go through so much to be worthy, only to question my worthiness? And somehow, I was able to fall asleep that night and luckily it was a Sunday. So the next day was P day. So the pressure was kind of off of me a little bit. Um, and missionaries, every email or every Monday we email our mission president. And so I remember getting on that email and explaining to my mission president, my diagnosis and letting him know what it was, reminding him what it was and saying, look, President Guffey, I don't know if this is something I need to confess right now, or if this is scrupulosity, but I, I, I'm feeling just so awful. And I need some sort of peace or comfort right now. And I was just very tender the whole day. And he gave me a call. And I just so appreciated this. He called me. And um, I remember what he said. He told me, there's no one I'd rather have Satan beating up less on right now than you. I don't want him beating up on you. You're, You're a servant. You're working hard. And he was sad to hear that I was struggling. But what an inspired man. He didn't even give me the chance to explain, to confess nothing. He immediately directed me to the scriptures and he had me read John 3.16 out loud. And he said, Heavenly Father loves you so much that he sent his son here for you. And he just let me think and let me sit on that scripture for a little while. And every guilt, every pain that I had felt that the scrupulosity had brought on that time was just gone. It was my worst attack. And it was 11 months into my mission. And you'd think at that point, I would be able to distinguish what was scrupulosity and what wasn't. But that's not really how how scrupulosity works. It will convince you, even the most, I think the most educated um, person with scrupulosity can still feel the effects of it. And by him just turning me to the scriptures and not letting me use a compulsion not letting the scrupulosity win i was able to overcome that attack and it was a really powerful lesson for me
0: what's the sor- you're doing a great job jessica you're a great guest what's the source of that awful feeling um help our listeners understand that awful feeling you felt as you're as you were in that lesson and somebody talked about something in their past that reminded you of something from your past that then created that awful feeling. What's the source of that?
1: I, I've i thought about the source of that before, because each time it has been different. Um, sometimes the scrupulosity hits me at an insecurity I have, or it hits me at a weakness that I struggle with. Um, but this one specifically was, was just, it was actually fear-based, um, something that he had talked about reminded me of something that I was I was scared of that, that happened a long time ago and it was something I'd already you know confessed and so it was very much a fear-based um, guilt this time it was it was scared like scared feelings it was feelings of um oh my goodness what do I do when I get sent home early like I I had spiraled so bad that I was convinced that I would have to go home for, to clear this one up and it's just toxic guilt like you just feel so it's not godly sorrow that's that's what the difference between someone who's going through repentance and someone with scrupulosity going through repentance is i didn't you know i skip over the godly sorrow and i just jump right into toxic guilt and i just i just felt like i must be the worst kind of person i must be the worst missionary i have no you know, attributes about me that would make me a worthy missionary. And so it's very harsh and very very mean. And we know that mental illnesses lie to us. And scrupulosity does that. It lies about about your worthiness to God. It lies about um your honesty. And that's what I was feeling.
0: I'm thinking out loud here, but you know Before I knew people that had scrupulosity, I sort of said every good feeling comes from God and every bad feeling comes from Satan. I wondered if there's two categories of bad feelings, Satan or emotional health issues that cause bad feelings to come because one's emotional health isn't where it should be. And that bad feeling may feel very similar to a feeling you'd get from Satan when you actually sin or you actually need to change or you actually legitimately should feel guilty because of something and um but those are two feelings that may feel very different very similar in the sense they both make you feel bad but the but one's not coming from satan it's just coming and it's not it's coming from emotional health issues how do you feel about that
1: I am so happy you brought that up I 100% agree I thought in the MTC I was like this these feelings are too frequent to be from satan that was my legitimate thought i really was like i identified them that they weren't from satan almost immediately because they they just came so often and they were so in my brain that i thought there's no way satan can just be knocking around in my brain like this and they felt different to me than when satan has been working on me it didn't feel like a temptation it didn't feel like Satan's lies. It it really did feel different, and it is medical. Um, and I still feel that way today. Like I, when Satan's working on me now, it's so different than when I feel my mental, you know, my OCD creeping into me. It's just a different feeling. So I agree. I don't think that Satan always has control. I think I think he knows when we're vulnerable, and he knows that we have these thoughts already. And so I think he can, you know, use them to his advantage, but it is, it is a separate, a separate thing.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I think it's sometimes my own emotional health and thoughts that come into my brain. And I recognize that's, you know, I think we want to put everything in nice, tidy buckets sometimes, but that may add to someone who has scrupulosity to, it just, it reinforces the cycle that, any bad feeling or any bad thought or reliving a experience that's been repented for is, is Satan why it's not always. And there's important to learn the difference and you're doing a good job of that. I also love your mission president. Um, I don't know where he got the skills to recognize this was not a belated confession issue. Um, it would have been logical perhaps for him to wonder and ask Questions and maybe that's appropriate at times, but somehow he knew that this was not a worthiness issue and gave you that scripture in John and told you why he believed in you and why you were there and and was just the right answer from an inspired uh, mission president at that point. So that's a yeah. home run priesthood experience. Um, I put myself in that position. I've never been a mission president, but I wonder. Without training on scrupulosity, how I would have handled that as I look back. So yeah, keep telling your story. Keep keep sharing your story, Jessica.
1: Yeah. Um, After that one, I felt really blessed that I got through it because again, like those thoughts are just so convincing and so real that I I thought I would have to go home, and so it was wonderful to overcome that attack. Um, later in my mission, you know, those last seven or eight months that I was that I was experiencing, I had scrupulosity still, but I did not recognize what the scrupulosity was doing to me at the end of my mission. It wasn't until I listened to that wonderful podcast episode one ninety one, where Dr. McClendon kind of goes through her her clients and talks about some of their scrupulosity struggles. And you know, as I said to you that I was sobbing through that podcast, it was because. It was true. I'd never felt so understood. I've spoken to these other counselors. The only one who, who knew scrupulosity was the one that diagnosed me and I had no information. And so I'm sitting here at college and scrupulosity's kind of taking the back burner in my life, but I still remember these awful feelings. And I remember, you know, listening to that podcast and thinking, oh my gosh, scrupulosity affected me my whole mission. I didn't identify the other behaviors of scrupulosity. So I I'm sure, you know, other missionaries have been on the podcast and have talked about obedience and the pressure to be exactly obedient. And I struggled with that my whole mission. I was obedient, but I never felt perfect. I never felt like I was good enough. And that was a lot of scrupulous behavior. Like I would, I think about certain things that I did as a missionary. I remember there was one day we were snowed in in New Mexico, we were snowed in. Um, we were asked to stay inside and I had a guitar that week from a member who lent it to us and I was playing it and it was lunch was over. Thirty minutes had passed up. I always kept the thirty minute lunch, but you know, we were stuck inside all day and I remember I played the guitar for probably, you know, forty minutes. And I love music. Music is important to me. I didn't really have lots of time to to do music as a missionary. But I'm playing the guitar and I remember, you know, I went upstairs to be alone and I knelt down and just started crying and, you know, begging for forgiveness for playing my guitar for 40 minutes, even though we were stuck inside anyway, I felt like I wasted the Lord's time. And that to me is a really good example of other ways scrupulosity hit me was that experience. Because I think about it now that I have, you know, the knowledge and I'm like, I think Heavenly Father would understand that I needed to take a break that day And that music brought me joy. I think he'd understand. I think he would even like to sit there and listen to it too. So there were lots of moments like that on my mission where I would do something and immediately regret it and immediately beg for forgiveness and think that I'm the worst missionary ever. And there's no way I can say at the end of my mission that I gave 110% to the Lord because of this one thing or this one person that I didn't talk to. And some of those things still haunt me. Some of them, still bother me. I think about there was one person that I didn't talk to at the very end of the night. We walked past her and I it still bothers me. And I've been able to come to grips with it as like, Heavenly Father is all-knowing. He knows the choices that I'm going to make. He still gives me the freedom to choose, but he does know the choices I'll make. So it's not the end of the world for this woman. I'm not the worst missionary. I was still an obedient missionary. It's okay. It's impossible to talk to everyone (laughs) they tell us to talk to everyone and that is that is so that that we talk to as many people as we can but it really is impossible to talk to everyone and i struggled with that the whole time i always felt like there was more i could have done and those are those are toxic feelings from scrupulosity i remember um in my interactions with other missionaries i always questioned myself did i interact with them appropriately did i flirt with this elder well, if I'm attracted to this person, I must be the worst missionary, you know, which that's that's a toxic thought too, because you cannot turn off attraction on a mission. Um, you, can, you cannot flirt with people on a mission, but you can still feel attraction to other humans and that's okay. And those were things that I struggled to forgive myself and constantly companions, you know, even when I was serving in a leadership position, people would say, wow, like Sister Ursum, you were really hard on yourself and it was the scrupulosity that made me hard on myself and i really struggled with that the whole time on my mission i felt like i have to use all the lord's time wisely and if i don't then i'm the worst missionary and i had this idea of what a perfect missionary was but there is no perfect missionary jesus christ was the perfect missionary but we can't be jesus christ in this life and so I look back and i wish that i could tell sister ursum i wish i could shake her by the shoulders and say stop worrying about these these toxic feelings that you're not good enough you are good enough i remember one day um we had something in our mission called recitations where we would uh, as part of comp comp study we would recite memorize scripture and we all had to memorize doctrine and covenant section four the whole section and it talked about how um that we we just have to have the desire. If we have the desire, we're called to the work. And it's it's a wonderful doctrine and covenant section 4 is wonderful, especially for missionaries. Um, but I remember feeling a really strong thought that like I have the desire and that's enough. It was what's in my heart. And if I if I somehow fail, if I think that I failed, my heart was still in the right place and I'm going to be okay. And so I was I was able to talk myself out of some of those um, bad, bad thoughts with, with that reminder that my heart was in the right place and my desire was there. And that was what mattered. Um, there was another part of my mission that I, I kind of skipped over, but I really feel like I should talk about it. It was my worst transfer of my mission. So was right in the middle of my mission at my nine month mark, and my zone was very disobedient. My companion and I were, were obedient we struggled with the zone. She was in a leadership position at the time and I was trying to support her. I was in a new area and I felt, I looked back on our, our time together and I felt like we put, we spent so much time in the car in between knocking doors. And sometimes we would go to Sonic to get a drink if we felt really crappy that day because of something that happened in the zone. Or we would go to McDonald's sometimes. And what if that was a waste of time? And I just spiraled one night where I just thought I have been the worst missionary this transfer I have been lazy which that was totally not true and I remember praying and asking God like like did I do enough this transfer am I am I worth it am I am I doing okay as a missionary as your missionary and I felt really strongly that that he, that's where he wanted me to be and the thing that I remember the most and that I think is the most important is I felt that your 110% effort does not look the same every time. Sometimes it manifests itself differently. And that transfer, I gave myself to my companion and to the zone. And that's what 110% effort looked like, that transfer. And it didn't look like that my whole mission. I was really lucky. My my whole mission, um, when I look at it as a whole, it was definitely about my companionships. I never felt like I was called to my areas necessarily i didn't always feel like i was called to the people of new mexico but i always felt called to my companions and it was in that transfer that i learned that my effort scrupulosity tried to tell me well if my effort wasn't knocking doors this transfer then i didn't have any effort but my effort was was in my companionship and it was in my zone and my companion could see that and i think my zone could see that and and that's how I look back on it now. And I feel I feel good about that transfer. I don't have any regret about that transfer anymore. Screw at one point gave me lots of regret about that transfer. And I'm so blessed that I was able to learn the lessons I needed to and be able to move on.
0: I love that. Um, I really love that. And i um, reminded of times where I'd give YSA's blessings and we wouldn't even be talking about missionary work, and um, not always, but many times I just felt an impression from Heavenly Father to tell the YSAs that it's served a mission that their mission is acceptable to God, and that they didn't, wow. and they didn't need to be perfect, and God didn't expect them to be perfect, but just that He accepts their service and what they've done, and it's a big deal to leave for 18 months or two years. And I just felt God's love for his missionaries, and I recognized that a general feeling that I think we are harder on ourselves than our Heavenly Father is. Um, I did this Instagram post for all my friends with scrupulosity a couple months ago. It goes like this, want to help lower anxiety and stress for LDS youth and young adults. Um, Consider eliminating these words from your vocabulary, perfect obedience, exact obedience, sin-resistant generation, and with the idea of set set realistic goals about doing your best, learn from mistakes, and with Christ, look forward. And the idea is the same idea you're teaching, is sometimes those terms in our culture are very motivating for all of us to do better, but for those with scrupulosity— those become unattainable goals that cause this pool of self-reflection and not measuring up and that cycle that you've felt. And the problem with that cycle is maybe twofold. One is you feel bad. And then I think the second is you conclude you're not good enough and you're not worthy of God's love and he's not going to be with you. And you may pull back from praying or pull back from even feeling that you're worthy to receive guidance and direction in your life. And And that's the double, those are, are both, you know, unfortunate things that come into someone's mind that has scrupulosity. Uh, I believe that heaven, nothing that you or me can do can take us outside of heavenly father's love and his ability to want to continue to help us, whether we have scrupulosity or not. And so it's just a really difficult road you walk. Um, And I assume your older self, you've kind of inferred this, Jessica, would love to go back many times during your mission and talk to you <laughs> and share um, thoughts that maybe only you, your older self, could help sister or some um, um, help her. Are there more? So you could give, at this point, you could keep telling more of your story or if there's anything you'd like to say that you would say to your missionary self right now
1: that is wonderful. Yeah, if I could go back in time and talk to my missionary self, I would I would tell her to to stop worrying about that exact phrase you mentioned, exact obedience, because it it's a it leads to an expectation that is impossible. And I would tell her to focus on on love, focus on her companionships because that was the the purpose for her mission, not for everybody's mission. I was really blessed to, to have that kind of mission, but for other people to focus on the people they're teaching and their areas, building them up, the wards, um, the strangers that you meet on the street. I would, I would tell myself to to focus on love and to focus on the scriptures and focusing on things that are wholesome about being a missionary rather than dragging myself down every time I make a mistake because nobody will be perfectly obedient on their mission. And there is no such thing as a perfect elder or sister. Um, we look to Christ as the example. And this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is His church. He leads and guides it. And we want to become like Him. And we can't do that when we are focusing too much on on the mistakes that we've made in an unhealthy way, rather than dealing with them the right way and and learning to kind of move on. Um, And so I feel I feel blessed that, you know, the things that I struggled with on my mission with scrupulosity have kind of taken the back burner of my life. And I feel, you know, other types of OCD now, but the main scrupulosity things that were bothering me, I'm so blessed, um, have not come up since my mission. And it was something that many times I got blessings on my mission. And I always wondered why. Why did I have to go through that? And I I know now that. It's because I needed something to make me stronger and scrupulosity made me so strong. And I'm so grateful that, that I could go through that experience. And I hope that, um, the parts about scrupulosity that I've shared can, can somehow touch someone who has maybe a more mild form of scrupulosity that they can, they know they're not alone and that I've felt those feelings too, but, but that they really are a worthy child of God and that he loves them. And so does Christ.
0: How has scrupulosity made you strong?
1: I think it gave me like a trust in myself that I didn't have before. Like, you know, being forced to accept a diagnosis, being forced to, you know, go through attacks that were out of my control. um, And being forced to think about my worthiness as a missionary, it really just, it made me stronger. because. I had to have faith that Heavenly Father, you know, gave me this disorder and that it's for my good somehow. Someday, I'll know why, but I had to have the faith and it gave me like a confidence in myself and a trust in myself. And I can look back on that and know even now, like I am a child of God. And even though I feel like one person in a world of of billions of people, that Heavenly Father knows me and he loves me and he's proud of me. And that's, that's what scrupulosity did for me. It, it helped me understand my divine identity more.
0: What a great answer. You said some things that I want to circle back to. Um, first I want to reference another podcast on scrupulosity, um, by Tim Chavez, episode 199. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. And the first part, he just talks about a faith crisis he had and how he's quiet and how he stays a committed Latter Day Saint. Um, The second part, maybe the last twenty minutes, talks about his own journey with scrupulosity. That was not a planned part of the podcast. I just we started talking about it before we went live, and then asked him if he'd share something about it. And he was he didn't realize until he was married and that he had scrupulosity. Um, So on his mission. You know, he just—the only way he finished his mission is he—he he concluded that he was beyond salvation, but that he would help others with their salvation. So that's what a—I mean, I, you just want to go back and hug that elder. Um, yeah. For two years, being in that spot where he had concluded because of scrupulosity, falsely he was completely worthy to be there. That he had concluded he was beyond salvation. Um, but because he's such a good guy, just like you are such a good woman, he said, I'm going to push forward, and I'm going to serve just so other people, I can help them with their salvation. And a loving Heavenly Father would obviously n- not want him to feel that way, but with a, it's a medical thing. He needs the right kind of treatment, the right kind of diagnosis, prayer, scripture study, the atonement of Jesus Christ can be helpful, but it's not going to solve um, a mental situation, a medical situation, just like all those things won't solve my broken leg. So right. I'm grateful for you and him and Dr. McClendon to kick off the first one of these podcast series on scrupulosity. The other thing you said mm-hmm. was really interesting. You you know, you're talking about sometimes being attracted to an elder and you De-shame that for all of us. You said, I can't control my attractions. And so you, in a very mature way, said that's just part of being a human being and that I will time be attracted to an elder or even a, somebody else on the mission but I can sort of choose to continue to follow missionary rules. And I love because you can't turn off attraction. And I love that you deshamed that because shame is Satan's tool you know, and then you've got the added bonus, or I shouldn't use bonus of scrupulosity, that can then spiral you down if you have a normal attraction to a male. Um, and then, so I love the way you de-shame that, and this isn't an LGBTQ-focused po- podcast, but um I've met with some um, celibate LG, gay and lesbian Latter-day Saints who are in the church, and They've talked about at times having attractions to the same sex. And I've, I Mm -hmm. at first, you know, didn't quite know what to say, but now I've said the same thing you have said that you can't turn off attraction. So if you're attracted to somebody, that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't feel shame for that. Don't feel guilt for that. Don't feel you're outside of God's love. Don't shame and self loathing is two of Satan's greatest tools, just make you feel crappy and not worthy of God's love and can lead to lots of other bad stuff. So just like you de shame that for elders, perhaps, or other people in the mission, I think that that's just part of being who we are. And God has created that beautiful part of us to be that way. And like you said, it's the attraction is part of the beauty of how we're created. But what we choose to do with that, especially as a missionary, is kind of where agency comes in. Um, anything you want to circle back to what I said, or do you want to move forward?
1: Um, no, all of that was great. Yeah, we can move forward.
0: Yeah, to keep sharing more of your story. I don't know if there's more of your mission you want to share or relationship OCD that is something that's more post-mission or maybe not if it's post-mission.
1: Yeah, um, well, I'd love to talk about relationship OCD as well, because this is something that's new to me. Um, so I met a wonderful girl here at Snow College who struggles from OCD and she has it pretty severe and it affects her, you know, on a daily basis. And she's such a dear friend of mine. And um, I was so happy to meet her because I shared with her that I, you know, experienced group on my mission. And I told her, you know, at the very beginning of the year that that was the only form of OCD that I knew that I had. And she later on told me, you know, it's, you know, she knows a lot about it. She went to went to some treatments for OCD where she got to kind of be in a home with other people and they got to talk about their compulsions and she shared with me later on that it's pretty rare for someone to have one subform of OCD and not experience other types. And so I was able to find a wonderful website the OCD Center of, of Los Angeles. Um, but I'll just kind of share my my thoughts on relationship OCD. I have one that is not that I can't find anywhere on the internet. And I don't think I'm the only one who feels this way. Um, But I've noticed that this kind of takes place in my own family, as well as in, you know, current relationships and dating. I definitely feel compulsions and obsessions over my relationship with my siblings. Um, My sibling, my little brother, Logan, and my little sister, McKenna, we're all three years apart. And my love for them is so strong. And my compulsion is to share that love on social media. And it is kind of, you know, a rabbit hole. I'll post pictures and videos of them on Snapchat, and it's like I have to prove my love. I have to prove to the world that I love them the way that I say that I do. And I have to prove to the world that my relationship with them is as good as I say it is, even when all three of us have our own our own trials. When I left on my mission, they were they were you know, younger. My brother was 16. My sister was 13. When I got home, like they had grown up a lot and that was hard for me. I got home and I was like, wow, they have their own personalities now and we're not best friends the way we used to be. Like our dynamic has changed a little bit. And so, you know, coming home from a mission is already difficult. And I kind of just did whatever I had to do to keep that relationship. And I was obsessed with, with showing my love to them. And I'm I'm sure it made them uncomfortable. I'm sure it was confusing and difficult for them too. Um, my way of showing love is lots of physical touch and lots of words, and that's not that's not everybody's way of of receiving love. And so the first time I noticed that something you know was wrong, like in an OCD way, was with my siblings. I identified that pretty quickly, but I didn't know what to call it. Um, and I worked with my counselor here in Ephraim. And when I had barely started dating up at college, I told her that I was having a really hard time with my thoughts. Like I barely even knew this this gentleman, um, we were going to go on a second date, but in between the first and second date, I was already having a panic attack about the future. And what if I break his heart? And what if he's not my husband? What do I do then? And I was having lots of obsessive thoughts, but we didn't diagnose me with with relationship OCD until much later. I had lots of other, you know, experiences in between with relationship OCD. I have a really hard time dating. I have a really hard time committing myself to someone. Um, I thought it was because I was burned really badly by a man in the past. Um, but now I've, now I've learned that this is just what someone with OCD feels like, but, uh, it was really difficult. I had my first I would say my first real relationship OCD attack probably about a month ago. Um, I've been dating, dating a man for probably two months at the time. And, you know, I got caught into that whirlwind of thoughts and thinking about the future and, you know, am I leading him on? And is he really going to be my husband? If he's not my husband, then I'm leading him on. If he's not my husband, then we're both going to end this in broken hearts. Uh, am I doing the right thing? Does Heavenly Father want me to be dating this man? And it was really hard. And I'd like to point out that when this attack took place, I hadn't ate food <laughs> in like nine hours, so I was hungry and I was also super tired. I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before, so I was tired and hungry. And I had just come off of a, a five hour shift at work, so I was very, very vulnerable. Um but I had told this this young man that I loved him uh, probably a few weeks before this attack happened. And I immediately after I told him I loved him, I felt doubt. And I wondered, wait, I just told him I loved him. I really hope I do because I just told him. And I can't take those words back. And I really started to doubt my feelings on if I loved him or not. And so he picked me up from work. I was really tired, really hungry. I ate dinner. We were going to go to the library and study. And on the way there, I just, I just got into crisis mode. Um, he tried to give me a hug, and I, you know, was pushing him off of me. I didn't want him to touch me. I felt unsure about him. And then it just quickly just tornadoed, and I had horrible, horrible thoughts. I had thoughts that that I don't know what love actually is. I had thoughts that for the rest of my life, I will never know what love is. So if I end up marrying this man, that I'm never gonna know what love is, so I'm always gonna doubt it. And just horrible thoughts just clouding my mind and I couldn't stop them. And he was like, well, what should we do? And I I just didn't know what to do to get control of myself. So we said a prayer and that kind of worked, and then we tried to read a chapter of the Book of Mormon in the car, and that worked, but it wasn't taking the thoughts away. And I, I like I said, I was in crisis mode. I mean, it was just like nine one one emergency. Like I, I felt horrible. And I remember, I remember saying out loud, "This feels like a scrupulosity attack," but then thinking, "Well, how can that be? This is not. I'm not having thoughts about worthiness right now. I'm not a missionary anymore." And it was horrible. And um. I asked him to give me a priesthood blessing, but we did not use oil. And he, this is kind of crazy. He gave me four priesthood blessings within one hour. That is how bad this attack was. Um, and it wasn't until the fourth priesthood blessing that we used oil. Cause I was pretty, I was pretty sure it was OCD. Cause we'd already talked about with my counselor, how I was having dating OCD. And I was pretty, pretty sure that this had something to do with OCD. Um, And he gave me a blessing with oil. And that was the blessing that kind of ended the night for me. It was, I felt better. I used the word sore. I was still sore from those feelings and those thoughts. Um, But I was able to fall asleep. I was able to get the rest that I needed. I had already ate dinner. So I I woke up well rested. I had already ate food, which is why I prefaced this whole attack was, I don't think it was completely brought on because of, you know, hunger and lack of sleep. But I just think that added to the severity. Um, So the next morning I woke up and I was just still very tender and sore about the whole subject. And I tried to do some homework to get my mind off of things. And, you know, I'll I'll add this too. I was pretty convinced that there was some sort of like demon (laughs) attached to me that night when I was having that attack. It just felt like those thoughts were just not me and they were evil and intense and scary and um i think satan you know like i said earlier on in the podcast that he knows when we're vulnerable i was extremely vulnerable that night and i definitely believe that you know he had his hand in in that attack but that is just maybe a, a good way to like describe what it feels like that it felt demonic And so I remember doing my homework and I, I typed into my laptop. I wanted to, to look up scrupulosity um, again. And it brought me to that, that uh, OCD center of, of LA website. And the very first like link on the side was called ROCD, relationship OCD. And I clicked on it and immediately exactly the same way I felt when I listened to the episode 191 of this podcast was how I felt when I read this website, it described feelings that I had about the person I was dating, um, just perfectly. And you know, the very first symptoms of these obsessional thoughts that you have with ROCD were the things I was feeling. You doubt your love. You wonder if you actually love them. You have an all or nothing attitude. So either this is my husband or it's going to be really bad. You wonder if you're even attracted to them. You constantly obsess over attraction And the compulsion of that is you have to kiss, you know, you kiss them to see if you're still attracted to them. And there's all kinds of compulsions for relationship OCD. I was doing one with him that I didn't even realize where I was constantly telling him, well, I'm not sure how I really feel about you. And that would be so hard for him as, you know, as a partner to hear. And, you know, he was just such a trooper to, to help me through this. But reading that, website helped me to realize okay like scrupulosity is kind of out of my my uh, realm right now and it looks like this is what I'm dealing with and so that website talks about something called pure O uh, which is pure obsessional where from the outside view you look at someone who has OCD and you can't see the compulsion but basically they're having the obsessive thought and so with relationship OCD I have obsessive thoughts my compulsions are still there you just it's hard to identify them so i was just so comforted to know that you know there's a website out there that can explain all of these things that i was doing it makes so much sense to me that i have this um but it was very scary and that attack was really intense and i it left me you know it just totally exhausted like emotionally and spiritually and i'm just i'm grateful that i was able to find that website and able to talk to my counselor about relationship OCD and, and get a diagnosis for that as well. And um, what is so comforting is that these types, of, these types of OCD, they can't be cured, but therapy is really successful. And so if you have someone to talk to that, they can talk you through your toxic way of thinking, and they can kind of rewire your brain to think about things in an accurate way, rather than in an all or nothing attitude, which is what I was doing with relationship OCD.
0: Will you tell our listeners if you remember how to get to that website?
1: Yeah, let me, let me look it up right now. Um, it's just such a wonderful place to go for these, any of these thoughts. They, they talk about harm OCD, which is OCD where you, you basically are just constantly worried about hurting other people. So the website is ocdla.com and it explains all of these types of ocd it explains scrupulosity really well um, something i never mentioned with scrupulosity was it makes me have weird like thoughts about politics there's another form of scrupulosity called moral scrupulosity and that makes me feel like well i want to do what god thinks is right politically and so i can't i can't have political opinions that are in line with god so how do I make a political choice myself if it's not you know if it's not said directly in the scriptures? And so that that's all explained in this website. Um, and it just brought me a lot of peace to read about things that other people struggle with that that I've struggled with and just to know that I'm not alone.
0: I love that. We'll, list, we'll link to that pot, that website in the episode description if any of you are listeners. Didn't get that. It should be in your episode description. Um, That, yeah, that's just very, very helpful. You're teaching us some things, some parts of OCD that um, are very helpful. Any work at the hour, Mark? Jessica, anything you'd like to leave in closing for our listeners?
1: Well, I'm just so grateful for the podcast and the opportunity to to share my story. I think sometimes... We compare trauma and sometimes I know for me, like I have listened to the other podcasts and sometimes I'm like, oh, my story, you know, is not as, as traumatic as maybe someone else's. But I think that's, that's an unhealthy way to think about things. I'm grateful that I can share, that I can share my experiences. And I just, I hope that they can help someone else. And I hope that the listeners know they're not alone and that, you know, they have you as an advocate. They, they have me, um, and i'm just grateful for for all the knowledge that we've gained about mental illness that we can put a name to these things and we can make websites and we can have podcasts that discuss things that are kind of hard to talk about so that people don't have to feel like they're in their own bubble and that we can all get through these things together because they they require i love the saying it takes a village to raise a family i still feel that way um i feel like it took a village to raise me and i'm still i'm still learning things and it takes a village to help me um, get through these these difficult things that I've been dealing with, and I'm ultimately I'm grateful for them because they have brought me closer to my Heavenly Father, and that's that's all I could ever ask for.
0: On behalf of our listeners, Jessica, great job! This is one of our finest podcasts, and even though you may you kind of hinted at this, you may feel my story is not quite as dramatic, or it's a dramatic. Um, difficult story. I mean, the feelings you felt were as hard of feelings as I think we ever feel that um, you shared. And we admire you for sort of un- trying to understand what's going on. I think going to therapy is, you're helping to destigmatize going to therapy and mental illness. And um, so you're really courageous. And I think whoever you marry will love. Your O C D, even relationship O C D, he will recognize the added spiritual gifts and insights and ability to help him and your future kids because you know sort of different I was going use the term different roads, but not in a negative way. You just have a realism and a set of skills that I think there'll be paydays for you down the road in your marriage and as a mother and and as a wife and as a as a local leader, to help other people because you have um, an understanding of this at a pretty young age and a real healthy um, perspective on this that is being felt by our listeners, but I think will be continued to bless other people's lives. So you're kind of one of my new heroes, Jessica. And on behalf of all of our mm-hmm. listeners, thank you for calling in for me from Ephraim, Utah. And this is I'm Richard Osler, your host of Listen, Learn, and Love, signing off from another episode.